Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen podcast with Alison, a European town dweller in central Italy, and Andrea, living on a newly created family farm in northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Good afternoon, Alison. Hello, good morning to you, Andrea. Thank you. I'm so excited for this episode. It just feels so long anticipated by yeah. all of us. <laughs> to organize four people to be together in at one time from all over the world was, yeah, it took some doing, but I'm really glad yeah. we did it because it was so <laughs> fruitful. Yep. This is... Well, first, actually, I'm going to shout out our patrons, as always, for sponsoring us and getting us on the air. So thanks, you guys, for bringing the Ancestral Kitchen to everyone. We all appreciate it. Yeah. And this episode is four of us together talking about ancestral food. So Corey and Christine are two amazing moms. They're actually in the United States also, like me. And they are over on the other side of the country. And they have a podcast called Modern Ancestral Mamas. And it's an awesome podcast. I think I've listened to, well, I haven't listened to the (laughs) interview episode yet, but I've listened to most of their episodes. Mm. And so we got together, the four of us, and we recorded two episodes in one morning. Yeah, that was. And one. (laughs) quite a recording session (laughs) yes it was it was I definitely was our longest session ever and one one went up on their podcast it's already there and the other one went up on our podcast and you're listening to it right now yeah and it was all questions that we gathered from you guys so you guys sent us questions about what you would want to know and we just made them in a list and answered them and how many how many children did we have between us we we worked that out at the time was it 12 or 11 I think it was 12 children between the four of us so um (laughs) and all different ages so lots of varied experience and lots of different histories coming into it as well um Mm -hmm. so some of the answers were very different from each of us but um yeah it certainly it was fun and really informative just for me to listen to um the three of you talking was was useful Mm -hmm. for me so if our listeners have children or friends with children or children in their family there's lots of wisdom in in the answers and thank you all for sending in such wonderful questions Absolutely. Also, if you have a spouse, <laughs> that came up too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> usually, usually, you know, somebody has questions about little kids. They also have questions about, you know, kind of negotiating all of this with their spouse. So um, that was cool to get to talk about. And everybody had, you know, similar, but different things to say. And I think you're right. Hearing the perspective, everybody had a different life background. And, <clears throat> you know, I think, Corey said was she did she say that you know her mom had this book when she was a kid um yeah you know whereas you and I didn't get introduced to it till we were yeah completely well let me tell you guys a little bit about these two wonderful ladies um Christine you can find her on Instagram at nourish the littles she lives in Dallas she's on the Weston A. Price board. I, I think she's a chapter leader, Allison. Did mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember if she so. said that. Um, if you guys go to her Instagram, one of the questions we got actually from a few people was about snacks for kids. And she has a free smart snacking guide on her Instagram. So go download that little bonus right there. Um, she also sells a real food and real families course. So um you know, when you have the questions <laughs> that can fast and it's like, ah, and you just want to have somebody um, kind of walk you through it, then there you go. You can go grab that course. And then Corey, um, 
she is actually in the process of moving to Georgia. It was so funny, Allison, because, you know, here we had all finally settled on this date and then, you know, we had negotiated all the time zones between us all. And oh my gosh, Um, Allison's getting really good at trigonometry. And (laughs) then as it happened, Corey was literally going down to Georgia to check out a farmhouse, a whole farm property. Um, And so she was, she sent us a picture um, (laughs) before we started on Instagram and she had created her little pillow cage, like in her aunt's I don't know, like sitting room or something. Makeshift recording studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, that's that's a trooper. <laughs> like, no, I will be there. Um, if you guys go to her Instagram, did I say it's for nutrients sake, mm-hmm. which I think is such a cute name. And she has a nourishing meal ebook. Um, and she's also a chapter leader. I don't know if she's still gonna be a chapter leader when she moves or not for West N.A. Price. Mm. Yeah, two wonderful women. <laughs> really have enjoyed connecting with them. And um, yeah, yeah the, the both of the parts of the episode have some real gems in from all mm-hmm. of us. And uh, their, their feed, their podcast feed is full of useful, helpful information. Very inspiring. Do you remember anything that, um, Alison, was there anything that they talked about that surprised you or something that came up? gosh I'm trying to remember now it was a few weeks ago wasn't it I think um yeah (laughs) I think what surprised me was despite the fact that we're so far apart geographically you know and me particularly Mm -hmm. because I'm right the way over here how similar we were not necessarily in our histories or the situation that we're in but in the way that we're approaching uh-huh. things and I think that's what came across most strongly from the answers to all of the questions that you know there's not one specific necessarily that will mm-hmm. answer a question but it's a kind of a mindset or a set of priorities uh, a way of looking at something yeah. that will give you the yeah. answer not the specifics and, and I could feel a resonance in me to listening to both of them talk in the the approach that they had that that's yeah. kind of what surprised me I think I, I I actually was thinking about the same thing I was thinking how it was surprising how similar all of us were like I love liver you know um but also how different we all were so like like you said we have the, there's your set of priorities but it does play out differently and and I hope that that's encouraging for anybody listening because maybe the way Allison does it isn't the way you'll do it mm. or the way Andrea does it isn't the way you'll do it you'll do it your way mm. and and that way is right too you know <laughs> yeah completely not not to sound too like placating or something but like like there's a lot of right ways to to live out you know your ancestral kitchen so yeah Um, Yeah, I'm so excited. I hope you guys love this episode. Anything else you wanted to say before we let them at it, Alison? No, just enjoy it and then head over when you've listened and and check out the first half of the interview on their podcast. That's it. Absolutely. All right, guys, enjoy. Okay, so hello. We are here today with Corey and Christine from the Ancestral Mamas podcast. And I am going to dive straight in with the first question because we have lots of questions to um, to answer. So the first one is something that I think Andrea and I hear a lot, which is how to avoid burnout as a mum cooking ancestrally with a family, cooking from scratch all day. And the, the person who sent this in put a tired emoji at the end. Oh. Um, Corey oh. and Christine, do you want to start off on this one for us and, and give us your thoughts? Christine, how about you take it? Okay. How do you avoid burnout? Um, I would say focus on focus on cooking stuff, foods that you really like. Mm, um, good one. So make what you want to eat. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to eat pizza or if you want to eat chili or if you want to make pies, then focus on that. Um, and, and then the other, the other thing that I would say too is, uh, outsourcing. So sometimes Mm -hmm. 
in depending on the stage of life, it's not possible to do absolutely everything. And this is when you can rely on other resources that are available to you, whether that is a local fermenting company or that is using the Weston A. Price shopping guide to see what you can purchase that's already made for you. Um, and realize that you don't have to do it all and it's also not possible. So kind of taking that pressure off of yourself. Mm -hmm. Corey, do you want to add anything? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that was good, Christine. I, yeah, I mean, check. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if I can say one, if, if I think the said, outsourcing thing is so important. Oh, yeah. Go on, Andrea. Well, I was just going to probably say similar to what you were going to say, Allison, but I was going to say, if you could ask me one thing to avoid burnout, I would say, get off your phone. That's the one thing that I would mm -hmm. say, because if you can get, I, I don't, I don't know that our generation realizes how much time is getting sucked away by these little screens, but even I, I have timed myself in the kitchen. I, I I'm okay. I I'm like obsessed with like efficiencies and things like that. And I've timed myself doing things hundreds of times. The minute the phone walks in the room, you lose like all these little minutes and gaps and just stuff goes down the drain. So just get off the phone. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I can say my, my mood is nasty if I'm sucked into my phone. Mine also same, no lies detected. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think the phone, <laughs> the phone does things. I mean, there's scientific evidence on this and it kind of just like fries your brain I mean that's not the scientific term obviously but it does <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is what leads to you having that sensation of feeling scattered and all over the place and then you know it, right. before we know it it kind of can descend into some things you don't want to say in the house and how you don't want to act <laughs> and and so I totally agree with Andrew as as people who listen to the to the podcast know I think that um Christine's point about outsourcing is really important. And we talked about this on the other half of this interview over at um, your podcast, um, Ancestral Mamas. I think also, um, you know, delegating to people, don't feel like you have to take the whole thing on. I mean, I think it's so easy for us as women to think we have to do everything in the kitchen. But no, a family, if you have family around you, they are there to support you. And if you can support friends, they will support you too. You know, it's, a, it's about looking for community around you. And, and also um, batch cooking things. So, you know, I can cook lentils and then the lentils will last me five days. And some of the times during the day, I just, you know, for a meal, I just open the fridge and I look at what's in there and there are vegetables that I fried up in some large yesterday leftover. There are lentils or there's some eggs that are hard boiled and I can put a meal together really quickly. But if you cook one thing at a time then it is going to take forever. But if you can batch cook and use any space you have in your fridge and freezer, that will really help, I think. That's actually a really good point. We we eat a lot of leftovers or mm. lunches, you know, are super simple things. I'm not making fancy meals three times a day. I'm making very simple, easy meals that are, you know, 10, 15 minutes for breakfast and lunch. And then dinner gets a little bit maybe sometimes gets a little bit fancier. Um, <laughs> but it's not even every day. It's not even, you know, we'll have a leftover. We have a leftovers day worked into our meal plan. Um, and yeah. part of that is to use up what's in our, our kitchen. And part of that is um, to give me a break. I prefer the term pre-made food to leftovers. <laughs> <laughs> My husband hates leftovers. That's because you call them leftovers. It sounds gross. <laughs> you're, I think you're right. I absolutely, you're right. I need to reframe that meal. <laughs> do you want to know the Italian word for, for leftovers? Because yes. if you say it in Italian, it might absolutely. sound posher. It's avanzi. Oh, Avanti. So if you call them Avanti, I got it, it I'm sounds good. quite posh, that. doesn't it? You know, does it, what is, does it directly And for dinner translate? tonight, we're having Avanti. Yeah. <laughs> does it directly translate to leftovers? What, what is it? Uh, it's kind of like, um, you know, things that, yeah, it does. It, I don't know if it directly translates to leftovers, but it's food that's been pre-cooked. Ah, uh, I like it. Okay. I'm going to write that on my meal plan maybe. board Nobody's in my kitchen. Nobody's going to know. <laughs> They're going to be like, what? 
Right. They're like, wait. What? The next question we okay. got. Um, it's yeah, Italian, go guys. <laughs> also, I'm going gonna, gonna to look at you for this one because they actually mentioned okay. that they're in the UK. So um, this, this person said, I know eating organic, especially in terms of meat, is important. But what advice would you give to those who cannot easily source or afford it? Would you say it's absolutely necessary to use organic bones for bone broth? If you can't access them, should you refrain from making it? I'm speaking mainly about those of us in the UK. We can sometimes find, or we sometimes find that organic and halal bones or meat are not always easy to access. Go, Alison. Wow, there's quite a few questions in there, isn't there? Um, so, um, I would say first of all about the UK, the Soil Association certification that is necessary to actually stamp your foods as organic is quite costly and therefore a lot of small farmers cannot afford it. It does Same not here. necessarily mean though that their practices are any worse than anyone who's got that certification. It just means that they they haven't prioritised getting a stamp on their, on their food. Um, my biggest piece of advice would be to to just go out and find farmers and talk to them, build relationships. The last place in the UK that we lived before we moved to Italy was Penzance in Cornwall. And we had a farmer there who we met at a local farmer's market. And we are not a family that, that has, you know, cash flying around. We prioritise a lot of our money for food, but we don't have a very big budget at all. And through building a relationship with this farmer in Penzance, we were able to get food from him that he froze because he had a glut of it that week or he wasn't able to sell it all at that market. And so sometimes he would give us literally like three kilos of liver that he hadn't sold and it was frozen and it was half price. He would give us bones that he couldn't sell he would give us fat for virtually nothing. And he wasn't certified organic, but I went to his farm more than once. I visited it. I saw the animals. I saw the way he treated them. And I trusted him. And so through that relationship building, I was able to find um, produce. I was really happy for my family to eat without paying the same prices that I saw on internet-based farms, you know, for people who were shipping from the other side of the, the UK to get the you know, in quotes, certified um, produce. So I would say, you know, really, if you build relationships, it's, I really think it's always possible to find a way um, to to get good quality food, even if it's mm -hmm. not organic. Um, the question about organic bones for bone broth, I've made bone broth without organic bones, as long as it's from someone who I, who I know has mm, treated the animals and raised the animals in a way that they've not used routinely antibiotics or not um, slaughtered an animal just after it's had antibiotics due to some issue. Um, so I don't think there's a problem with that. I think bone broth is a wonderful food mm -hmm. and um, would encourage anyone to make it with good quality bones. Um, let me throw that question out to, to Corey and Christine and because it's not just a question about the UK really, it kind of applies everywhere. What do you think, you guys? Corey, can I? Yeah, absolutely. So we we did discuss this in the previous podcast episode, one, one of the previous ones. And this is where I actually am really grateful for Diana Rogers from Sustainable Dish and the book that mm. she wrote, Sacred Cow. And she has done the research. And in the research, she found that there's actually not any difference between a conventionally raised cow um, nutritionally speaking, and a pasture-raised cow. And really the importance is meat is a nutrient-dense food, period. That's it. Um, so if you cannot source your meat from uh, pasture, if you, can't, if you don't have access to pasture-raised meat, then it is okay to eat conventional meat from the grocery store or wherever it is. What's more important is that you're not excluding meat from your diet. That's that's kind of like the, yeah. the bottom line. Um, and, and I also agree with Allison that bones to make bone broth, broth and meat stock are so nutrient dense that I would still 
try and make it and consume it on a regular basis. It's, it's such yeah. a nourishing food. Yeah. I know, Andrea, yeah. you agree with that. I would agree one, with you? that. And Corey does. Oh, we're all in agreement. Yeah, I, I would also say that it's this, it's very similar in the U.S. that it's very expensive to get and maintain a um, U.S. US what is that USDA, called? Yeah. Organic stamp. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, to be certified organic is to be is is really difficult. I have family that has tried looked into getting certified organic, you know, stamp on their farm, and they're just like, it's not worth it. Like, we're not gonna. We're not going to spend our time and money doing this because we're a small farm and, you know, we are really only selling to a couple families and um, it's not worth our our resources to put into this stamp just to prove that we're doing what we should be doing to properly raise animals in the right. first place. Yeah. So. Yep, okay. I agree with all of that. And when she, the questioner, what do you? Quick questioner asked about mm-hmm. affording. Just remember, you know, you there's been times where we've literally just had bones and broth and organ meats and no actual muscle meat, the most expensive part, mm. right? Uh, and I agree with Allison, network, get in relationships. We've moved multiple times. So I've sourced food in Seattle, I've sourced food north of Seattle, San Diego, Coronado Island up by Chicago, out in Virginia, like you, it is just, it is footwork, but get into relationship with people and you can find amazing food. And, um, I, I do know even the bottom of the barrel factory farmed cow is going to be more nutrient dense, maybe not your most ideal thing, but more nutrient dense than, your top of the line soy burger. So just rest in yep. that. <laughs> okay, Allison, yeah. why don't I think, you give us should oh, I go to the next sorry. one? Yeah, yeah. No, should I go to the next one? <laughs> okay. So we've got um a ferment question. It says, how do you manage all the ferments? How do you even make water kefir? So this person sounds like they've got a bit of a ferment <laughs> headache going on. Corey and Christine, do you want to jump in on this one? Yeah, I will. Um, I I remember who sent me this question. Okay. (laughs) I actually replied to them on, I replied to them right away because I was like, it's, this is not a big deal. Um, (laughs) uh, So ferments, there's so many, right? You can make all the different things. Um. I feel like Allison probably makes all the different things. <laughs> but, I was going to say, I feel like this is a question for Allison. Uh, it is, truly. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I'll pass it back to you in a second. But I, I just want to say that you don't, it doesn't have to be complicated. You know, like I make sauerkraut and I make probably like a big batch every maybe once a month, maybe every other month. Um, I don't make fermented... Um, m- many other ferments. I make water kefir and sometimes milk kefir, and then I obviously sourdough, but I-, I don't spend a bunch of time making a bunch of other ferments. I will, if I, sometimes I'll make like a slaw, you know, to go on whatever, we're having barbecue or tacos or whatever, and then I'll just take that slaw and ferment that. So it's already done. It was already f- for a meal, but then I just put it in a jar with some extra salt and that'll ferment and that'll be a, a pseudo uh, sauerkraut. So and I just, I think it's um, not as difficult as we feel like it is if we're just doing, you know, a few things like that. And then water kefir is really easy. And I find I made kombucha for years and years and years. And then when I learned how to make water kefir, I was like, mm. ah, forget this kombucha thing. Um <laughs> Um, it is so easy. You just, you put, you have your kefir grains, which are, um, they look like little, you know, kind of cauliflower, except that the water kefir ones are kind of more translucent, translucent. You put that in a jar, you put in four tablespoons of sugar, maybe a drop of molasses, and then you fill the jar up with water. You stick it on your counter and let it sit for however it's between two, four days, depending on the weather. And then um, I bottle mine up, so I put mine in one of those flip-top bottles with another tablespoon of sugar and some um, fruit juice. 
and then that sits on the counter for another two or three days. And then it goes in the fridge, and we've got water kefir soda. So as long as your kitchen is warm enough, because I tried to do these things when we lived in this house with this freezing mm-hmm. cold kitchen, and nothing ever worked. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is the deal? Um, and then I realized that the kitchen was it's so cold that it couldn't. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. my fault. I was doing the right <laughs> <Yeah>. thing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so if, if your kitchen is cold, you got to, you know, get like a, a um, heating pad or something. But, yeah, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. So, Allison, do you want to take this on? <laughs> Beyond about, that. About, about keeping your kitchen warm, there's an article on my um, website which talks about how you can keep your ferments warm because there's tons of different ideas. If you do have a cold house... Um, there are many ways you can keep your house warm. I would say, you know, the ferments are a creative process for me as much as that, you know, and and when I have free time, I put it towards dreaming up the next thing I can ferment. So that's part (laughs) of it. It's a joy for me. Um, Regarding the kind of practicalities of it, I tend to have some time in the morning where, um, you know, I get up before the rest of the house gets up. And that's when very often I tend to my ferments because it's it's kind of like a meditative process for me. You know, I get them out and I'm stirring them and I'm looking at them and it's getting to be with my food and the um, the fermentation and slowly getting me into the day. I also do something that, that you were talking about, um, I think, Corey, on the other half of this podcast, which was, you know, when there's a gap in the day, when there's five minutes... Instead of, you know, in the past, like the old Alison would have been scrolling on her phone. Um, but now if there's five minutes, I think, oh, I need to refresh my sourdough starter. I'll just get it out and do it. Or, oh, we're running out of water kefir. I need to, to do another water kefir and, and second ferment this batch that's on the go now. And so with these little pockets of time, once you're in a routine and you know what you're doing, it really doesn't take anywhere near the amount of energy to maintain them. Um and they they can be done in just, you know, a few minutes per day. Also, I, I only make sauerkraut once every six weeks, I think, roughly. And I just leave it. And then when it's done, I put it in the fridge. And when it starts to get low, there's a kind of another one on the go. So um, I think I get excited about my ferments. Maybe maybe I don't know. <laughs> I don't spend my whole life on them, though, honest. <laughs> Andrea, do you want to add anything, Andrea? No, I think you covered it. Or I guess I should just add, remember that you can sometimes put a ferment to sleep, stick it in the fridge and uh, not yeah. tend it for a little while. Yeah. Oh yeah, I or do that a lot. the kefir, yeah. like Allison talked about that on, I think our, one of our podcast yeah. episodes. I've stuck my sauerkraut, I mean, sorry, sourdough starter in the fridge for like three to four months without yeah. feeding it. And yeah. I brought it out and fed it a couple of times and it oh, was fine. Oh, after we moved, yeah. somebody gave me... Yeah. One of my starts <laughs> that I had given her a long time ago because ours somehow in the process molded and she gave me one of her starts and she goes, well, you gave me this start and it sat in my fridge for a few years and I never touched it. And I was like, we'll see what happens. We picked it <laughs> right back up just fine. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's you amazing. Know, and that's quite an important point because you know, I keep my ginger bug in the fridge and sometimes I'm not using it and it's fine. I keep water kefir grains in the fridge. I keep milk kefir grains in the fridge when I'm not doing them. And so if you feel overwhelmed because you've got all these things going on, like Andrea said, just put them to sleep for a little while and uh, they'll probably be fine. The, you know, they'll wait in, until you are ready. You know, you you should be in charge of your ferment. Your, fin- your ferment shouldn't be running your life. So so take control and just, yeah, pop them in the fridge for a few weeks, for sure. Water kefir is the new yeah. Tamagotchi or whatever that thing's called. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Andrea, yeah. My, my husband jokes that our ferments are another dependent. <laughs> Can I list it on my taxes? Yeah. <laughs> oh. So speaking of dependence, here's the next question. What are some meal train ideas that are good for new moms that we can share with family members who want to help out after baby is born? So can I, Christine and Corey, can you answer this two ways? One, if you're giving it one, if you're getting it, I'm, I think the question might be for either direction. So we just um, recorded or published um, a episode on postpartum okay, great. health and great. all of the things uh, with our friend Nina Marie, who's amazing. Um, and one of the things we were talking about is, um, you know, the, those of us that don't aren't 
are trying to bless these new mothers, right? And I actually have a um, post on my blog, too, that is about what to bring to a new mother or a sick friend. And I just think that this is one of those ways that we can show, um, we can we can connect with our community and we can love on people um, and we can show our children how to bless people. Um, it's I just think it's really important. But, you know, practicality-wise, like, what do you actually bring? Not, you're not just bringing love, Corey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that specifically for new moms, something that is bone broth-based is really sure. good. So I must always bring a beef stew. Um, and then I also try and bring something that is easy to um grab and go because you're, when you're a new mom, you're starving all the time and you can't get off the couch very easily. Mm-hmm. So I try and make things like lactation cookies or lactation muffins or um, just like uh, cubes of cheese or something like that. Just something that is super easy to grab and sit down and nurse the baby and eat. Can right. you tell us what's in the lactation Christine. cookies and, and muffins? Um, well, there's a, there are a bunch of different, uh, recipes out there. A lot of them are very conventional, Mm. but I usually will make, like if it's a cookie, then it's going to be a oatmeal based cookie because oats, um, increase, you know, lactation. Mm -hmm. And then you usually are going to add something like a brewer's yeast because that also is a, um, lactating increase. I don't know, lactation Mm -hmm. increasing food, milk production food, um, and then I don't, usually blueberries or, or chocolate chips or whatever flavor you want. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I would always make it with butter or coconut oil, something, you know, nourishing like that, where if a mom just sits and eats a whole handful of those, she's, <laughs> you know, there's no, I, it's just, it's still nourishing to her. Mm. Um, mm. And it's. I just remember that feeling of like I'm starving all the time, but I can't get off the couch because my baby's asleep. Or yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm nursing him again. again. <laughs> a galactagogue yeah. is a food that increases milk production. Oh wow! And in the uh, Sally Fallon's nourishing traditions for baby book, in chapter seven, she has some ideas on that if somebody's looking for ideas christine do you want to add anything to to it yeah do you want to add anything christine we haven't so the other part of that question was what would you like to receive ah yeah Um, and yeah i have a few ideas for that um in broth again so any stew type meals brothy meals um really anything and This most recent baby, I had an individual who was so kind enough to actually also pack lunch for the kids. So she packed little, um, actually this was brilliant. She took salamis and dehydrated them so that they were crispy and kind of like chips. Yum. And she, she made a few food items so that I would be able to, or my husband would easily be able to pack lunch for the kids the next day. So we didn't have to worry about that. And I thought that was just That's brilliant. brilliant. Um, and then another friend brought, and these are just like small details, but another friend brought the kids a gift and it was mm-hmm. nothing fancy. It was just a notebook and coloring pencils, yep. but they felt so special and appreciated. Mm. And, you know, then they could just sit at the table and draw on their notebook with their coloring pencils. And while I was nursing baby, so my, I guess you can bring food, but it also doesn't have to just be food. Bringing something else for other family members or bringing your time to come and help unload the dishwasher or fold laundry or sweep, anything like that, that I think is also a way for you to give back to a new mom. The people who bring you food yeah. after you have a baby, let me just tell you, if you're the person bringing food, that mom will never forget you. Like, yeah. I can tell you, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. she will never forget you. That is so meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
I want, yeah. And, and then I'll just, I just want to say my, my mm-hmm. go-to meal for moms is actually, I do meatballs with organ meats in them, oh, and like yum. a tomato and broth based sauce. And then I always have a huge, I offer, or I make tons of white rice with coconut oil and then Sally Fallon's carrot coins. It's like Genius. so easy. It's just chopped carrots, boil them, put tons of fat in them. And like, that's my go-to meal for any new mom. And for somebody who's thinking, where are these people who bring moms food? Well, be the mom who brings food. Okay. You (laughs) start that and, and normalize that in community. I saw a post on Instagram that kind of rubbed me the wrong way where they said, you know, um, new moms get one appointment at six weeks after the baby's born. That just shows how much our society cares about and prioritizes new moms. And I was like, ha, so you're trying to tell me that society is made up of paid professionals with insurance premiums. That's it. No, your society, Missy, the one who's posting Mm. this, you show up at mom's house. Like you go take your food. You care for her. Like, let's not, let's not abandon the privilege of community to somebody we paid to like palpate your fundus or something like just show up for each other when it comes to delivering food I feel like nothing is more satisfying than bringing one of those dishes to somebody who's going to appreciate and be like are you kidding me you put liver and heart in this thank you and nothing's more devastating than bringing it to someone who's like ew gross so oh I don't tell them I don't say that (laughs) well I mean imagine if you brought that to Corey and she's like this is the you know most meaningful thing you've ever done the level of detail you put into this you wouldn't tell her otherwise but um so ask mom what she can eat in advance and if there's you know if she goes well, you know, my son has a peanut allergy. Like you want to know those things before you bring food, of course. And what does she like? If you're the one bringing the food, just remember again, that hospitality rule. If, if mom is going to gag at like bone marrow butter, like that's not what you're going to bring. Okay. Like make her what she likes, even if it's maybe not what you would consider the thing. If she wants Annie's mac and cheese, cook the noodles and bone broth. Like do what you can to get the nutrient dense in there. And if somebody's asking what they can bring you and you're afraid it's going to be like Kraft Mac or something like that, like food dyes or something, um, you could conceivably ask them. I had somebody who said, I really want to bring you something, but I don't know how to cook for what you want. So she went to Costco and she got like a bunch of organic veggies and things that she knew we could eat. And I thought that was so brilliant because she's like, I don't know what you want, but I'll bring you ingredients that I know fit your lifestyle. Um, so Pete, you could even ask people if you're still pregnant to come and help you prep things. You know, that's good too. Mm. I like any, any yeah. meal I can freeze because if you're pregnant, I'm making your meal now and I'm freezing it now because I don't know what day your baby's going to be born. And I want to be able to just drive up, you know, 24, 48 hours afterwards and drop it off. And my husband's advice is always when people say, what should you do for a new family? He goes, put food on the porch, knock and run away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no seriously oh wow um i know you... how important this is for you oh. andrea because i've talked to you about it many times yeah. about Don't get um, me going, community around birth and so yeah i want to ask another question i'm going to jump two down the list because i'm keeping an eye on the time and we're not going to have enough time for all of the questions and i wanted to ask um a question that michelle um sent across to me on instagram so i'm going to jump two down on the list Um, and she said talk to us about how diet has affected your little one's sleep and I think this is a really important question to ask because so many mums have problems with sleep Mm -hmm. and like we talked on the previous you know on the podcast over at Ancestral Mamas food can have a huge impact on health and and the world doesn't really acknowledge it so perhaps um Corey and Christine you could share what you've experienced with your children and sleep and food um I want to start that by saying my kids don't sleep great Mm. (laughs) and um 
they never have. So like I, my 19 month old still wakes up multiple times a night to nurse and she'll nurse and just go back to sleep. But, um, so maybe that's considered sleeping well, but also my four-year-old will start the night going to sleep in her bed and then she'll come into my bed and she'll go right back to sleep, but she'll still wake up and come in. And my eight-year-old does the same thing. So, um, I don't know if that, maybe that is considered good sleep and I am not aware that that's considered good sleep. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but, but I also think that, you know, um, particularly for babies, we need to get out of this mindset of, um, babies sleep through the night at, 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 you know, four weeks or whatever. I know it's. It's that's not actually no, healthy. Not. Like you don't want your baby to do that. I mean, you probably do want your yeah. baby to do that, but <laughs> you don't. <laughs> but it's true. But it's you true. don't. Like that's protecting against SIDS. That's um you making sure that they're yeah. nourished. Like they're they're actually taking in a lot of calories at night and they need it. So as obnoxious as that is to wake up in the middle of the night to feed your baby, um it's a good thing. You got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, right. guys. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I will say, though, that, like, if my kids um, have some, like, if we make ice cream at night and my kids eat ice cream after dinner um, and then don't go run around outside, like, if it's, you know, summer or something, and then just go to bed, that does mess them up. It's harder. Oh, interesting. Um, and then oh, there's something else I was going to add to that, but I can't remember. My brain just went out on me. Christine, do you want to? Or, ju- okay, oh, so like, uh, oh, I was I was just going to say that like on the last episode that's on our um, feed, the we talked about parties and stuff. So they will be messed up if we've gone to a party and they've eaten so a bunch true. of junk. So true. Um, mm. Yeah. So I guess I guess. I'm going to take back what I said. My kids are better sleepers than I think that they maybe yeah. are. <laughs> um, How about I, yours, Christine? Yeah, I I don't have much to say on this topic either. I will say that, so my third is the most Weston A. Price baby, I guess. <laughs> and um, I don't know if it's because he's the third or I have no idea if that has something to do with it. But yeah, he's the best sleeper out of the two of the older two. So um, he's also the calmest. Same. But again, I don't know (laughs) if it's, I don't know if that's being third in line or. My third is the calmest as well. Although she's. It has to be. Yeah. That's what I've heard from other people who have multiple kids, that there's something about the thirds. It's God giving you a break. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's needed. It's helpful if we're talking little, little, little ones like newborns definitely just run screaming from all that advice that talks about how to get the baby to sleep through the night at, you know, a week old and these sorts of horrible things. And remember, just, just knowing, just knowing how much a baby can actually consume, like in the first week they can, in, in a sitting, they can eat about one to maybe two teaspoons. I mean, that's a tiny, tiny amount. If you look at it in a dropper, just look at it in a dropper to see how much it is. And they're going to metabolize that. Also understand how fast the baby metabolizes. The second the colostrum or the milk touches their tongue and their mouth, it begins to metabolize in their body. Like they are engines designed to burn fuel and build a brain out of your DHA magic. So they're going to metabolize all of that in two to maybe three hours. And so when you're like, I just fed the baby, I took a shower and now he wants to eat again. You've got to be kidding me. Well, yeah, he burned through everything. He's starving already. So just having those facts on hand is helpful. Right. Just to know that you're not yeah, crazy. Because you will feel crazy. <laughs> right. Yeah. But you're not. And hopefully your friends so, are Andrew, would you say that you're would you say that your three sleep well or yes? How do you yeah. feel about sleep? Yeah. I, I agree. And, and I do would you think say that also their like diet plays into that. Oh, hundred hmm. percent. Like thousand oh. percent. I, I can, I can tell within an hour if the kids had something that, you know, was, well, Jacob will start throwing up. So that's an easy indicator, but <laughs> you can definitely tell the way that they 
behave and their agitation. You know what I'm talking about? Like they don't want to lay down. They don't want to sleep, but they got something they shouldn't have. So eating good food helps a lot. I don't know what I would say specifically the food is. I would guess I would just say, don't eat the junk food. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's it's hard to know when you haven't actually brought up kids who are eating junk food all the time. But I know that Gable's very different when he eats any form of kind of um, non-fruit sugar. Mm -hmm. And I also feel like fat plays a really important role in kind of balancing what he's eating and keeping him sated for longer periods of time. Um, But I I don't have any evidence of feeding a child in a different way. So it's it's hard for me to be conclusive. If diet includes your movement diet, I don't know if that's the right way to put this, but, you know, varied and broad movement is normal and healthy for a child. And, and uh, this should come as no shock to anybody, but sitting for eight hours is not normal for a child. Their body is made to be moving pretty much almost the entire time they're awake. That's what they are capable of. And we ask them to move, you know, People have these pushes like, oh, get your kids up and moving for an hour a day. I'm like, are you kidding me? Mm. (laughs) Movement should be the majority, like with the treats, you know, and then sitting is the minimum. Yeah. All of their development and things, you know, it's very important for them to be moving and climbing and hanging. There's specific, specific parts of their body that develop just from hanging that, that won't and, and yeah, pushing, pushing too. Yeah. Stretching, chasing, fighting, wrestling, rolling, you know, uh, being in the dirt, on the dirt, eating vegetables with some dirt still on them, you Eating know, the dirt. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's all important. And I, I consider Do you that want to jump to the, the next diet. question. Yeah. Do you want to jump to the next question? Okay. I, so, I, we haven't got time for them all, but we've got no, still a few that we haven't. But covered. I think we can get at least one more, right? We're good for this last one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So tips for a mama on a budget and when the budget is tight, what do you prioritize? Corey and Christine, do you have anything there? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think it depends on each individual family and what they want to prioritize. But if you had to pick or, you know, for me personally, um, meat is what we prioritize. And so that's where the bulk of our grocery budget goes to. Um, I would also say that following here, if, if you're here in the U.S., the environmental working groups, Dirty Dozen and Clean 15. So if you cannot afford organic for every single food that you're buying, then steer clear of the Dirty Dozen and try to purchase those organic. And if you can't afford organic for everything, then you can purchase conventional, the clean 15. Um, another tip would be things like CSA boxes, so community supported agriculture boxes, where you're purchasing directly from the farmer and you're getting a certain amount of vegetables every week or every other week, however they have it set up, um, purchasing in bulk. So one, one thing that we do is we buy fish directly from the fishermen in Alaska and you have to buy it in bulk. So we're buying 30 pounds of salmon or 50 pounds of salmon, which will last us pretty much the whole year until the fishermen go back to Alaska to fish for the summer again. And another one, when budget is tight. Uh, and then, yeah, I'd say buying in bulk. That's, that's really helpful. And if you can't, if buying in bulk for your family is too much, then split it with another family. So if you Mm. can't afford or don't need 30 pounds of salmon, then find a neighbor or find a family member that wants to split that with you. Corey, do you want to add anything? Yeah. um, I want to add that when uh, my husband and I first got married, we had we were we had no money, um, <laughs> and buying in bulk wasn't really an option for us because we lived in this teeny tiny little apartment, and we had two kids and all the things. So, um, one thing we 
I got really almost obsessive about, and I'm still kind of obsessive about it, is um, using every single little piece of food that comes into my house. Um, So even if like my kids, if I serve my kids raw carrots and celery for lunch and they just didn't, you know, finish it, I would just take those instead of throwing them out. Um, you know, I would chop mm-hmm. them up and, and freeze them or, or add them to soup or whatever. Or like, you know, kids always do this thing with apples where they eat like around it and then they just put it down. Uh, uh, so I would, I cut up the apple, like I peel off the bitten part or slice off the bitten part and then chop up the apple and then fry it with some butter. And then it'll last in my freezer Mm. until I need it. And I can make a pie with it or I can make muffins with it or add it to oatmeal or whatever. Um, So like when you don't have a lot of money, you kind of have to become obsessive about food waste, Um, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing for any of us to become obsessive about. Um, But you know, that's something that I did back then. And, and I will say, even back then we had a higher, and we weren't even Weston Price at that point. We were just gluten-free and kind of paleo. Um, but, uh, we had a higher food budget than would be a normal thing for a family that didn't have a lot of money. Um, but there's, Mm. there's also ways that like you can, if you're buy if you buy chicken, instead of buying, you know, boneless, skinless breasts, Buy a whole chicken because per pound, you're going to get more out of that chicken than you would per pound with just the breasts or just the thighs Mm -hmm. because then you're going to get the – for my family, I mean, we have six people and we can still take a whole chicken and make it last for probably three meals Um, because, you know, you roast it and then you you pick it and you get all the chicken off and you can make soup or enchiladas or tacos or – pot pie or whatever with the uh, with the meat left over, chicken salad, all those things. And then you have the bones and then mm-hmm. you get bone broth out of it. Um, and oftentimes when I buy whole chickens, they also come with a heart and a liver in it. Mm-hmm. So I'll just pull those out and stick them in the freezer until I have enough hearts and livers to make something else. Um, or uh, you can also practice meatless Mondays. And I know that that is, sounds weird because that's, you know, one of those vegan <laughs> co-opted things. But <laughs> if you think about meatless Mondays in terms of, okay, I'm going to use broth for our meal and I'm going to use like sprouted lentils and I'm going to use um, that I've sprouted myself. So you buy dried lentils are really inexpensive and you sprout them and then you cook them. Um, I'm going to use rice, which is inexpensive. Um, and then you can use frozen vegetables, which are less expensive generally than buying fresh especially in the winter. Um, you know, so it's technically a meatless meal, but you've still got all the nourishing bits from the bone broth and the, um, the other things that you're throwing in there, probably some fat of some sort. Um, yeah. So I think those are all ways to, to sort of budget. Okay. Wonderful. Andrew, do you want to add something? Yeah, go ahead. I just, I just thought of one more tip, which is mm-hmm. it's just stay away from the packaged foods. They're more Amen. expensive. The, the, the box cereals, the drinks, the amount of money we spend on drinks, just stay away from it. Um, it's so much more economical to buy the real food ingredients and make it yourself or, you know, just eat real food versus the middle part of the grocery store anything in the middle part. <laughs> right. This under aisles. Were you going to add on to my, um, well, I just put my awful hat on really. And my awful warrior hat. Uh, awful is so inexpensive. Um, I, I, as people who listen to the podcast know, we eat beef heart quite a lot and I get a huge beef heart for next to nothing. And I put it in the slow cooker and then half of it goes in the freezer and half of it stays in the fridge and there's meat for days and days and days. Offal is so inexpensive and so full of nutrients right. and such a wonderful way to respect the um, slaughter of an animal that I think definitely that's a, something to include 
for kind of budget. I agree with the bulk buying if that's possible, especially for grains if you're making bread because it's so much cheaper to um, buy bulk grain and bulk flour than it is to buy the small packets. And I think Corey talked about um, lentils. You know, pulses are are much much cheaper and um, to you know used throughout the week um, to intersperse with the meats and the offals and eggs and the other things that you're eating. They're a, a wonderful way to make your budget go further. Um, Andrea, have you got Thanks. any more, anything to add to all those wonderful suggestions we've heard? I do. So yeah. if, it, you, if you've listened to our podcast, you've heard me and Allison talk about Radical Homemaking or Radical Homemakers, the Shannon Hayes book. That book is excellent if you just need to be lifted up and inspired again in this area. And one of the things that she, well, okay. It's actually, this is, this is going to sound like doesn't make sense, but I will explain. It's actually cheaper to eat an ancestral diet than it is to eat fast food. Like it literally is. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying, oh, because you could get something for free. I'm saying like, literally if you had to pay for it at the farmer's market, the, 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 ingredient that's missing from the equation is your time and the time spent processing. And that's the thing that we've eliminated as our industrialization of the world. You know, now instead of staying home and cooking that whole chicken, I'm going to go work at a factory, right? That's the idea. So um, the ancestral food is pretty stinking cheap because most of our ancestors were peasants. <laughs> the majority of our ancestors were not, you know, the lords and ladies in the manor. And those fancy recipes that, that started emerging later were basically, you know, ways to show off that you had servants who could whip your eggs into meringue for you. You know, that's not the norm <laughs> of somebody living on a farm. You'll have those pulses. You'll have maybe the bones. You'll have maybe the organs, you know, something like the, the prosciutto, Allison, that they talk about in chewing the fat. That's just, mm. you know, special and, and not you're, you know, slammed around all day, every day. So no. be encouraged by that. And then also, yes, do network with your farmers. I have, so we have three test freezers and one of them is entirely full of things I got for free. So it has lard, tallow, pig's heads, sheep head, goat heads, organs from all of them. So pig, cow, sheep, goat, um, lamb, you know, livers, kidneys, hearts. I mean, it's packed with all of this and I didn't pay for any of it. And the, the way that came about is just always networking with your farmers. And when your farmers are ancestral too, it breaks their heart to get rid of these things after they spent mm. a year or two years raising their animals so tenderly. And so I actually asked, like, if you're buying a pig from a farmer, ask them, you know, how many are you butchering? And they'll probably say, oh, I'm going to do five this time or whatever. And you'll say, okay, does anybody else want the trotters? Do they want the organs? Do they want their fat? And a lot of times they'll say, no, nobody wants it, which blows my mind. So when we had our pigs butchered, then we got all the parts from the other pigs that nobody else wanted. And it makes it makes the farmers happy to know that it's being valued and used, but there we go. Now I can prepare those meatballs that Christine was talking about. Yeah. I think on the last, I don't even remember which one that ended up on, but know, the meatballs for the mom and it's not really yeah. costing me a whole lot. So networking is, is definitely at the top of my list and, and, and bulk buying for sure. Yeah. If that's at all possible. Yeah. All right, can I add one more thing? Yeah. Um, we, my husband has started helping our uh, friends who are homesteaders to butcher their animals. So he's helped to butcher chickens and pigs at this point. And every time he does that, he's sent home with, you know, whatever, whole chickens, um, a bag of livers, um, that sort of thing. And, you know, it's just that he just went and spent a day with our friends helping them. Right. And which is a really important thing to him is it building a community. Um, and so he's, he's being able to help our friends, but he's also being given 
um, free food. Yeah. Show so, up, get your hands in there and you will learn the skills right. and you'll also, you'll also, um, oh yeah. Ask him if anybody wants the feet. Probably nobody wants the feet. But I'm like, come on. That's the oh best yeah. We part. got a bunch of feet too. <laughs> and make broth. Yay. Yeah. Okay. We are over time for sure. There's one more question that I think we could perhaps do really quickly, which is tell us your favorite resources for eating ancestrally, either a podcast or a book. So I would start by saying that I don't have a lot of books, but Nourishing Traditions has not left my side since I was um, first investigating Western Price back mm-hmm. before I had Gabriel and wanted to have a baby and had no periods. It is a wonderful book, not only for the recipes, but also for all of the other things that are um, around the recipes and the footnotes and the um, bibliography at the back. So that would be my favourite resource. Um, Corey, can you tell us what your favourite resource for eating ancestrally is? Nourishing traditions. <laughs> <laughs> Vote number two, okay. Um, I, I'm going to add a couple more. Okay. <laughs> Nourishing traditions, eat like a human, and real for uh, real food for pregnancy. Those are my top three um, books that I always tell my friends to go. And I um, if you are pregnant, wanting to conceive, real food for pregnancy. Um, and uh, Nourishing Beginnings is also, if you have a baby, that's the book to do for baby food. Um, and then Wise Traditions podcast is so good. My so favorite good. on there. Yeah, and... Um, Christine has a course, which she doesn't even know I'm going to say this. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. Wow. Thank you. She has a course that is really wonderful. She and Sloan um, have this course for families who are trying to transition to real food. So um, if you are struggling there, check out Christine's e-course. Awesome. We can link Thank that you. in the show notes. Christine, do you have a um, book or um, other resources that you want to add to the list? Yes. I'm going to add a book called Odd Bits. Oh, yeah, I have that. The Rest of the Animal. Um, That one. And then actually, I'm going to give a shout out to a friend who is just so fabulous with all of her Ophal recipes. And her blog is called Awfully Good Cooking. And it's every organ meat under the sun that you could possibly imagine made into real recipes. Yum. Um, and I've tested a lot of them and they're all delicious. So mm. those are my, those are my two Thank you. Thank you. Andrea, what do you want to add? Of course, wild fermentation. <laughs> uh, yeah. Can't, can't get oh, yeah. that episode through without mentioning the king. <laughs> yeah. mentioning um, the nursing totally. tradition children's cookbook is a great one if if we're talking yeah, to moms yeah. with kids because oh, yeah. you really want to get your kids in the kitchen with you as frustrating as it may be at times it's going to pay off for both of you and their entire life a cabin full of food love that if you're budget cooking pantry cooking canning growing at you know you can literally outsource everything you use in that book or you could raise all of it at home it's all things you could raise at home um, and of course, radical homemakers, because if you aren't yeah. inspired, you're not going to stick to it. At least that's my experience. <laughs> Andrea, yeah. I actually Wonderful. like to gift the Nourishing Traditions kids cookbook to grandparents. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, I that's love a, that. That's so sweet. Yeah, because then the grandparents can feel involved and do yeah. those recipes with yeah. their kids. That's genius. Well, my that's mom so has it as well, so... I definitely see that. Okay. Allison, well, were you going to put it around up there? Okay. Um, I just did nourishing traditions. Okay. I, I, I think that's the, that's the, um, the Bible for sure. That's, that, that's As you know, clean, I like my mom calls it. And that's <laughs> exactly. That's and the I like all the sandal <laughs> books, obviously, you know, I'm like with my fermentation, but, um, yeah, for just for everything, nourishing traditions is just amazing. It really is. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's um, let's call that a wrap, shall we? Thank you ever so much let's for coming it. on, Christine and Corey. It, um, it's been really informative and also was really good to have another set of questions over on your podcast as well. So we managed to cover uh, an incredible amount between the two episodes. Right. Can you let the listeners know where they can find you individually and then your podcast, please? 
Yeah. Um, so you can find Christine at Nourish the Littles on Instagram and also nourishthelittles.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, you can find me, Corey, at For Nutrients Sake on Instagram and at fornutrientssake.com. And then you can find our podcast, um, Modern Ancestral Mamas, on wherever you get your podcasts and on Instagram under that same handle. Awesome. Oh, man. Wonderful. Thanks so much, ladies. This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you really for cool. all your wisdom and, and time and for the laughs, too. It was a really good episode. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> this has been really yeah. fun. Bye for Bye. now. Bye. 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 Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation. Come find us on Instagram. Andrea's at farm and hearth and Alison's at ancestral underscore kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun, exploration and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen. Thank you.